start with our thoughts trained on new things and, 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 and beginning things again and opportunities that we thought had grown cold are now warmed up and we see them with a new vision and a new insight and a new expectation. This is the time for us, perhaps not more than any other time, but it's the time when it's on our minds more. This is the time for us to rededicate, to reconsecrate, to solidify our standing with God and make our preparation to move in the right direction in our lives for the glory of God. I didn't make any New Year's resolution. I haven't made any for years. I don't really know what kind of resolutions to make, so I don't make any. I just decide that I want to do better in my life for God. I want to walk closer with Him. I want to serve Him more effectively. I want to be sure I'm not holding anything back for myself but giving all into the hands of God for His glory. And I believe that should be the goal of our lives all the time. We just reflect on it more and are perhaps reminded of it, perhaps even by the Holy Spirit reminded of it, in such times as this. So today I want to talk to you about what I believe is truth for a new year. The subtitle of my message this morning is A New Year's Message for 2018. The truth is this matter this message would be appropriate for any time of the year. But it may be that at this particular time, it causes us to think about it a little bit more. So I want to ask you this question. Where do you want to be one year from now? I'm not talking about physically. Where do you want to be located? I'm not talking about if you want to move to Europe or I started to say to South Florida, but surely you wouldn't want to do that, so Sorry. <laughs> but where do you want to be in a year, a, a year from now? Where do you want to be? I've lived in quite a number of places in my lifetime. And as an adult, I've lived in several places. Before I came back to Florida, back to Florida, because I've been here before, lived here before, and lived here for several years before. I lived in North Carolina in Winston-Salem area, just a little suburb of Winston-Salem and spent our time there and uh, had a ministry in Greensboro, which is a part of the, the triad there. So I, and I enjoyed living in North Carolina. I found it to be a pleasant place. It's actually the place of my birth, so I felt like I was at home. But I came back to uh, Florida in 1996 and have lived here ever since. came to Clay County to this church over eight years ago, and then sometime like five years ago, whatever it was, we moved over here to Clay County from Jacksonville. I have moved some places and lived some places before, but I wished I didn't live. I found myself in some places that once I got there, I wish I were not there. I've said I've used this expression several times because I found it to be true. There's been times when I had a dream of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do for God, and then I got that dream fulfilled and found out when I woke up it wasn't a dream, it was a nightmare. 
since I moved back to Florida, I will tell you, I've been happier living in Florida this time, these last several years of my life, than I can remember any other time in my life. I've been the happier places I've lived, and I've lived with contentment. But I'm but I'm glad I'm back in Florida. This doesn't mean Florida is better than anywhere else. I know it isn't. It's better for those of us who are here and love it. But if you live somewhere else right now and you're just here visiting, I'm sure you live in a wonderful place. I hope you love it there. If you don't, you're always welcome to come to Florida. Everybody else is coming. I don't know why you wouldn't. But 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 that, but I'm not talking about where you're going to be living a year from now. I'm talking about where are you going to be standing with God one year from now. Where do you want to be in your standing with God a year from now? You may not be here a year from now. I may not be here a year from now. None of us may be here a year from now. Because Jesus may come. And if he does, I plan to be gone. If, if you get word of the rapture, I hope you'll get word of it while you're in the air, not while you're down here. But if you get word of the rapture, find somebody else to preach that next Sunday morning. I don't plan to be here. I can't make you any promises about what's going to happen, but I will tell you this. You will not be with God in exactly the same place that you are today. You'll either be closer to God or you'll be further away from Him. There's some of you who are much closer to God than you were a month ago, two months ago, three months ago. Because some of you have been saved in that time. Some of you have been saved in the in this past year, in 2017. You came to Jesus, made a decision to live for Him and serve Him, and you're doing it. It changed your life. For many of you, 2017 was a revolutionary year. And praise God for it. But a year from now, you can be even closer to God than you are today. There are a lot of things that happen that make a difference in our lives and our standing with God. I look, I look back over the Bible and I thought about several people, people that I've admired and, and people whose lives I have digested and, and I, people who, whom I've followed for many years. And I refreshed my mind on some of them as I thought about this message this week. I thought about a person who was where he did not want to be. He didn't go there by his own choice. He was put there by an edict of the law. But he made the best of where he was. The first person I think of like that was Daniel. Daniel, you may remember, was actually thrown in the lion's den, which is a place of punishment worse than a prison. He was thrown in the lion's den because he prayed. Can you imagine that? Being thrown in jail because you prayed? There are many people in the world today who have been put in jail because they prayed. There are people in the Bible who are put in terrible circumstances and terrible locations and terrible situations because they prayed and because they believed God and because they were children of God. And they paid a price for that. Daniel was one of them. The edict went out that nobody could pray except to the king. Daniel kept praying just like he always had. He still opened the windows toward Jerusalem and looked out toward Jerusalem and as he prayed and touched out to Father God. And when he did, the trap was set and the trap closed and they arrested Daniel. And because it was against the law, the king didn't want this to happen, but he couldn't change his own law. So, it, so Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. That's a terrible situation to be in, isn't it? I've never been in a den of lions. I've never been in a coliseum where I expected to open the door and lions charge out and tear me apart. A lot of Christians.
Christians have. I've never been in the den of lies, but I know it would not be a good place. I know that. I don't have to experience it to know it. I know it would not be a good place to be in the den of lions. I don't know how many lions there were in there. It was called plural, so there's more than one. I think if you're in a dungeon or in a, in a den or cave and you're in there with lions, I don't think it matters how many there are. One's more than enough. Daniel was in the lion's den, and they, his enemies expected him to be torn apart. Daniel might have thought the same thing until God gave him peace. Now, this didn't change the fact that he wasn't where he wanted to be or that he was not where he did not want to be. I don't think it ever happened until it was all over that Daniel realized I'm in a good place. When he lay down that night to go to sleep, he may have slept very peacefully. He may have slept rather fitfully. I don't know. But he did sleep in faith because he knew his trust was in God. And whatever happened to him, he knew he was in the hands of God. So wherever you are, if you know you're in the hands of God, you're in a good place. Things may not be going as you want them to go completely, but you're in a good place if you're in the hands of God. I like the story of the three Hebrew boys. They had different names for the Babylonian, but they were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and uh, they were arrested for the same thing, worshiping God. Though they would not give up to the king's edict, and they continued to pray and worship God. And so in the breaking of the law, they were arrested. And they were thrown into something perhaps even worse than a lion did. They had heated the furnace. They wanted to be sure these guys got burned up. So they heated the furnace seven times more than it was normally heated, and they threw them into the fiery furnace. Just before they went into the fiery furnace, their faith was challenged. They were offered the chance to recant and change your mind. We won't throw you in the furnace and burn you. They said, we can't do that. Well, we have to be faithful to our God. We've got to continue to serve God and believe and walk with God. We can't change our lives for God. Don't you know you're going to be burned up if you continue to hold on to this path? They said, well, we may be, but our God is able to deliver us. And if he delivers us, we'll be praising God because we're delivered. But if not, if not, in all things and in everything, whatever God does, his way is perfect and our God is able. If we burn, we burn, but if we don't, we don't. We're still in God's hands, they said. So you, you may be in a place that doesn't look good in the beginning, could turn out great in the end. The end is not always determined by the beginning of something. You get into a lot of situations bad in the beginning, you can make a lot better situation out of it. And with God's help, you can make it the right situation. Did you know that? You, listen to me now. You can turn the difficult situation that you are facing into a better, a good, even perfect situation by faith in God because you know you're where God wants you to be and you're pleasing God walking in his will. That was the case with these three Hebrew boys. Now, it was all over. They went to check on them the next day. The people who got up close enough to check on them were actually themselves destroyed by the fire for getting too close to it. But then they looked in from a distance and they saw, we threw three men in there. Didn't we? Did you throw somebody in?
somebody else in there I didn't know about. No, we only threw three men in the furnace. They said, but yes, but there's a fourth person walking around in that fiery furnace, and he looks like the Son of God. I don't know for sure how those people knew what the Son of God looked like, but he looked so different walking about in that fire, unsinged, unburned, not even touched. They all walked out, didn't even have the smell of the flames on them, because in that trial that they faced and in that difficult place where they were put, they were with the Son of God, and he delivered them. He delivered them. And God does that. Job went through a horrible trial. His friends all tried to convince him he was a sinner. That's why he had that trial going on. That's why he was sick. That's why he had boils all over. That's why he lost everything he had, because you have sinned. And Job said, I don't know where I've sinned or what I've done. I can't imagine the sin that I've committed. He never did become any sin that he committed, because it was something that God had allowed for a purpose and with a plan. I can't say much about this. It's too time-consuming, but I'm just going to tell you this much. When it was all over, And throughout it all, Job trusted God. Regardless of what happened, regardless of what happened in that horrible time, Job trusted God. And because he trusted God, God brought him out to the end of it in victory. And when all of his family had been destroyed, all of his belongings had been taken away, crushed, destroyed, obliterated, he was left with nothing but boils and a and, 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 and a physical attack on his body and on his mind. The only thing he was left other than that was with the wife. There were days he thanked God for the boils. It's a good thing to have a wife. The Bible says so. I believe it with all my heart. My experience is it's a good thing to have a wife. I want to make that clear. But I also want to make it clear, it's not always good to have one. Not always good to have a husband. Unless they're saying, doing, and telling you the right things. And she said to Job, you've done, she joined in with his tormentors and said, you've done something wrong, God's put judgment on you. Why don't you just curse God and die? And that's an answer, isn't it? Now, the great, the great word of faith coming out. I've got the right companion. Why don't you take all my daughters and sons and leave her here? Why don't you just curse God and die? But he would not do anything apart from his integrity with God. Though he slay me, I will trust him, Job said. I will not dare depart from trusting him because he is trustworthy. Hallelujah. And so, and so finally when it was all over and and Job's three friends, supposedly his tormentors, were chastised by God and told that they had to pay a price and all of that's in the book. But, but the best thing about it was, when it was all over, that right there in the, in the last chapter of Job, the 42nd chapter, you read, God gave him back sons and daughters more than he had before. And Job's fortune turned, and he had more cattle and more grounds and more more uh, harvest, more every double everything that he had before because he went through the trial and he went through it in faith and he held on to God and God gave him double what he ever had before because God doesn't forget the faithfulness of any one of his children. You may not be in the place you want to be right now, 
place if you walk with God. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. And so, and so I could go on throughout the Bible with people like this. Job, Peter in jail. Peter was in jail. And God delivered him, sent him out through the 16 guards that they had around him to take care of him. Make sure he didn't get away. He got out thinking it was a vision until he got out on the outside and found out it was a reality. God set him free. Paul was in Damascus not long after he was saved. He began to preach and he declared the, the power of the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the resurrected Savior. And the Jews who hated Christianity, uh, that hated Paul because now he was one of them, but he had turned over to what they considered to be the enemy. So they decided, this group of men in Damascus, they decided they would kill him. So they set a plan in action to assassinate him. Paul heard about it, got some of the men who were on his side. They took him to the edge of the city over the wall, and they let him down over the wall in the basket. Lord, that he got out of the basket and, 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 and got away. So he was in Damascus, and he realized it wasn't a good place to be. He needed to get out. There were people who helped him. God sent people as his, as his, as his assistants to get him out of there. But God took care of it. And Paul was saved until later on he was martyred. He saved and spent a lifetime glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ and expounding the revelation of the gospel in written forms for all of us to receive and be blessed by. He wasn't, he, he wasn't in the place he wanted to be, but he was in a place that God used him. And God put him out of there to put him in a better place. So some of you, and what I'm saying is, well, that's, I, want, that, I want to change that. I'm, I may, you may think you're in the lines, you may think you're in the fire furnace, you may think you're in prison with people, you may think you're somewhere else where you're being tormented un, 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 unnecessarily and unrealistically and, and for false reasons. But I will tell you this. If you want things to change, I mean, you want some things to change in your life. If you want things to change, you've got to change some things. And you may not be changing the same things that you want to change. Maybe those things you can't change. But if you'll change the right things, make the right adjustments, the right turn, the right correction, and be where God wants you to be, you'll see some other things change. I'm not going to give you this as a quid pro quo. I'm not saying that God's going to show you if you'll fast three days that he's going to deliver you from whatever it is that you have. I can't make you that promise, and nobody else can according to the Bible. But I can tell you this. There is a scripture, and it's very clear that if we want to draw near to God, it's up to us to do it. It's up to us to take the initiative. That's why I say if you want things to change, you need to change some things. The Bible says we can take the first. God's already taken the steps toward us. Now we take steps toward him, and as we take steps toward him, we are blessed because of those steps we take toward him. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. How about that? How about that for changing some things so that God can change other things? If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. That suggests two movements. It suggests if you're moving closer to God, he's moving closer to you. So that's what we need to do. That's what James taught us. James chapter 4, verse 8. I'm going to read this whole verse to you because in researching I found something else I want to tell you about. This is what James 4, 8 says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is what another translation says about those words. The other translation is the NLT. And it says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Being double-minded means being divided between God and the world. Wow. That's something you want to change. That's the change you want to make. You do not want to be caught up in. And to some extent, all of us are caught up in the culture of this world. It's all we hear, it's all we see, all the time. You just have to be on guard to recognize what's false, what's harmful, what's detrimental, what is explosive in a negative way spiritually for you and not get caught up in it. In your workplace, in your school place, even in your shopping, in your commerce, you'll encounter these things from the world that will try to attract you and pull you in. You have to be aware of that, on guard against it, and make sure that you're standing against the culture and the ways and the thoughts and the plans and the purposes of the world so that you can be in accord with God. If you're not, if you're not divided, separated from that, the scripture says you're double-minded. And what is the true about a double-minded man? A double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. I heard this, I heard this a long time ago, years ago. I think I may have written about it in a faith walk column. By the way, if you're not reading Faith Walk Cobb, you're missing something really good. Just, I heard. Somebody told me. It goes out to you by email every week. If you're not getting it, you should get it. But here's what I read. I think I wrote about it. A young man really was trying to draw closer to God. He wanted to, just wanted to live closer to God. He was seeking God. And he saw an older Christian gentleman. He observed him for a while, and he saw that this older man really had a relationship with Jesus. And he went up to him one day, kind of hopefully, and he said to the older man, Sir, I would give the whole world if I could just have what you have with Jesus. And the older gentleman looked back at him and said, That's a good thing, son, because that's exactly what it cost me. And that's what it will cost you. If you want to draw nearer and nearer to God, it will cost you the The things of the world will pull you down. The philosophy of the world, the teaching of the world, the plans of the world, the purposes of the world, the politics of the world will all pull you down and away from God. But when you get your mind free from that, when you get your spirit set free from the things of the world so that you're no longer contaminated with what the world says is right, and you know that the Bible is right, You no longer believe what the world says is supposed to go on. You believe what God says is supposed to go on. When you get to that place so that you can separate yourself from from the philosophy of the world, the ways of the world, from that which is of the world, then you can be more and more and more in tune with God. To get close to God will cost you that. That's the price of it. The price of it is giving up the ways of the world. We used to preach this a long time ago. I still preach it. You still hear me say it today. We 
sanctification. Doesn't matter what we called it. Doesn't matter what name we put on it. The truth is still there. If you want to live for God, you've got to make your life in tune with Him and not in tune with the world. You can't live by what the newspaper tells you because, with all due respect, some of it will be true, but all of it won't be. I started to say a little bit differently from that, but then that would have sounded negative. There'll be a lot of stuff you read. There'll be a lot of stuff you hear on TV. There's not something you don't pay any attention to. I'm talking about news things now, and I'm talking about things that people are espousing. You listen to these people sitting up there on those panels talking on TV, and they're telling you everything. They don't know anything more about it than you do. They don't know nearly as much about it as I do. So I know they don't know it anyway. I could tell them a thing or two, or three, or more. I've heard some of them, so I'll just be honest about it. I'm not being mean about anybody, not calling anybody's name, but I've heard some of them until I hope I don't ever have to hear them again. If turning the volume now won't do it, I'll turn the channel. If I found them sticking up over there somewhere, I'll just turn it off. I don't want to hear them anymore. They said more than enough already. They're like the woman who was heard about the, was spreading the gossip. And somebody came to her and said when she told them this really juicy tidbit of gospel, gossip, they said, oh, that's, that's one. Tell me more. She said, well, I, I don't think I can tell you more. I've already told you more than I heard the first time. Most of these people that are talking on TV are already telling you more than they know. I'll get off that. That's enough of that. I'm even tired of hearing about myself. I know you are. <laughs> but I did read I did read this in the, in the paper. I, I, actually, I even printed out two things. I'm not going to talk about a thing thing I wrote on what I printed out with this. A, 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 a tennis champion who won the Australian Open tennis match last year. And that's a prestigious tournament to win. She won that last year. It wasn't the first time she won it. She won that last year. But this year when she was asked about participating, she said, I can't. I'm not where I want to be. She means she's not where she wants to be physically for tennis. She just had a baby like four or five months ago. So that makes a difference in her life. I understand that. But it's so apropos because that's what most of us are saying right now. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not even where I can be. But there is something I can do. I can make the change and move toward God and make it different. That's exactly what we can do, my friend. Because we sang a long time ago. You remember this song, This World is Not My Home? I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I can't feel at home in this world. Because this world is not my home. Not your home. We're just pilgrims and sojourners here. We're on our way to another destination. We're just passing through here. It's not our home. It's not our lasting permanent home. But we are moving towards that home that he's prepared, a city who has, that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, is what the writer of Hebrews said. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. We may
choice or more choices, one or more choices, that will affect your life. You'll make a choice today that will decide where you're going to be in relationship to your family, in relationship to your church, in relationship to God. You'll make a choice. You want to make a choice that's going to draw you closer, closer, not further away from Him. That's the only direction to move in your life. Make the choice that draw you closer. We're going to sing while we prepare for the baptism, but right now I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the Holy Spirit will use this message and even this baptism time. Use it, O oh Lord, to speak to us by decision-making, because baptism is about decision-making. I ask you to use this, O oh Lord, and speak to us. Direct us by your Holy Spirit to walk with you more closely than ever before. And we rejoice together. We come together to share the testimony of those who have been saved and given their lives to Jesus.